Oh my State police helicopter drops it. There is the explosion. I hate Asians. Prosecutors saying the victims were targeted because they were gay or transgender. I didn't want to come and I don't want to be here. Every single last one of you better be fucking registered to vote. This uniform doesn't make him a robot. Just like your uniform, your skin color doesn't make you a criminal. We don't do this the correct way. Hello and welcome to Diversity on Fire. This is Heather coming from New Hampshire. This is Ashley coming from Raleigh. And this is B coming from Texas. Our goal with Diversity on Fire is to inspire you to think and act differently. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations about controversial issues on all types of diversity-related topics. Our guest today grew up in a small town on the eastern shore of Virginia. He was raised by his grandparents, who he credits for helping him navigate his tumultuous teen years and providing a solid, loving, supportive foundation. After high school, he joined the U.S. military, where he served this country for 17 years as a non-commissioned officer, a role that he that took him to many states and countries and humbled him in ways that most could never imagine. He is the proud father of two boys, a fitness enthusiast, and he thrives off of inspiring others. He currently works in a management role where he oversees a crew of 137 employees from all ethnic backgrounds and all walks of life. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce my friend, Montrell Corbin. Hey, Montrell. Hey. Hey, hey, how you guys are doing? How you doing? Doing Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to talk to you for a little bit this afternoon. And we want to start off by saying thank you just deeply for your service to this country. I think so often people can brush by that. And it's just important that we recognize the sacrifices that you made for us right at the top. So thank you very, very, very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're really excited to talk to you for a whole bunch of reasons. I think your perspective is a super valuable one. And not in the least of which, because you have self-identified as a formerly kind of small-minded person. You've told us straight up that you had a weird way of looking at things when you were growing up and for lots of reasons. So we're excited to learn a little bit more about your background and what you've done to open your perspective and how you can help others do the same. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow up on the middle of nowhere, Virginia? Oh, man. Growing up in uh, the Eastern Shore of Virginia, you know, shout out to Eastern Shore. It was real, you were real small mind. Like growing up or going to school, it's like, uh, you know, you had your parents and, you know, you had your one side of the street, one side of the town. You know, you had black people over here, you had white people over here. And I remember going to school when we started to end, when we was going to school in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you didn't know what color was. You know, all you knew, you just wanted to play in the sandbox, have a good time, laugh, joke, go home, tell your parents, like, oh, I got, I got this friend and this friend. And sometimes, you know, my grandparents would ask, like, is there white? You know, they want they like they want to they want to ask, like trying to identify, but you didn't know. You just said, Oh yeah, that's a white person, it's a white girl, white guy, whatever. But once I got into like I think first or second grade, that's when I started to see the difference between the races. So everybody started to hang with their own race. And one time I remember we was in the playground and something had happened and all of a sudden it was like the white people against the black people. And, you know, growing up, you'd be like, hey, what happened? So then I remember one guy got into a fight on the, on the monkey bar. I think it was over the swing or something. Like somebody pushed another person, one guy pushed uh, one of the white guys off the swing. Then all of a sudden he rallied together and got his little friends together. And then we rallied and got our friends together. And then right then and there, that's why I knew that something was different. And then as you get old, you know, as you got older and going through school, and I remember one time we went to this Parksley Festival. It was like a, you know, like a little fairground that we had. And that was the first time I ever heard my first 
racial slur, but I was like 10 years old. I didn't know. I remember it was a fight breaking out and everybody, you know, everybody runs to the crowd where the fights are happening. And it was, you know, a black gang. They was fighting each other. And I never forget what this white guy said. He said, when the monkeys are out of the cage, they'll play. And I was just like, you know, walking, you know, as a nine, 10 year old kid, you walk by like monkeys, what are you talking about? Monkeys, what the, talking about monkeys. But then as I got older, understanding a lot more, I was like, oh, he's talking about us. So he viewed everybody as a monkey, you know, as, you know, a black person doing this. And a lot of times, I, you know, you try to blow that stuff off, you know, going through middle school, you know, you're playing baseball, you're playing football and stuff. So you just wanted to play sports with your friends, you know, you just like meeting people. But you can tell once the game was over with, you know, everybody went their separate way, you know, you got all the families, the white families, black families cheering for everybody during the game. But like it's like once that game is over with, you know, you try to go shake hands with your teammate you just played a game, game with, and you can tell like how the parent looked at you kind of funny. Like the white parents looked at you like, why is, why is he coming over here? This is our time. The game is over with. You know, you didn't did your sport, you didn't lost, you didn't won. It was, it was dealing with stuff like that. You know, it was Parks in the Middle School. I never, I never forget it. And, you know, you had a lot, you seen a lot of favoritism, like some kids that just didn't have no talent in the world, but they still made the team because of who their parents were or who their parents knew. Well, you got some of these other kids that had like all the talent humanly possible, but just because of their skin or where they grew up from or whatever, they got put on the side. Uh, that happened to me in middle, in middle school. My sixth grade year, I remember I got cut from the football team and I saw this other guy that made it. I was like, really, man? You know what I mean? Backyard football games, I'm done how many grown men I'm going to try to run over and tackle and everything. But you got this guy out here that can't even catch a butterfly. I mean, so, you know, a lot. Real quick, real quick, because our <laughs> listeners can't see you, but like Montreal is who you want on your football team. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we're picking you first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You won't believe it, I was real skinny. I was real skinny. In okay. I mean, all growing up, I was a skinny kid with a big head and a little body. But I had the heart, man. My grandma, man, my grandma, my grandfather, they gave me that no quit attitude. No matter how hard it gets, you keep you keep grinding. You don't care how big the kid is or whatever. You knock the crap out of them because if grandma say you soft, hey, you got something, something's wrong right there. You need to step your game up. My grandma <laughs> was like the, one of the biggest critics. She said, don't go out there and get knocked out. I don't want to come pick you up, you know. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather, he was a solid, strong type. So he said that he just watched, but he, oh, he played a good game. But you knew like when he said that, you're like, oh yeah, I did play a good game because his grandpa said oh, yeah. something, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you are 40 years old. And yes. I, I, I want to recognize that only because what you just explained, what happened to you when you were a kid in school, I want to identify the fact that it's not as long ago as people want to pretend it is. Not. The, the the separation and the issues that you dealt with when you were growing up, that's not that long ago. We're not talking about the 50s and 60s. We're talking about no. the 80s and 90s. Yep. Yeah. And you've seen it. You know, we've seen the it. The lasting impact. Mm-hmm. But it was like a different part of like, it was like more like, men, I call it, it was like more like mental slavery. Like you had a lot of kids that knew the answers to certain questions, but they wouldn't call on their kid in class. You know, as I look back at it now, you'd be reason like, why are they always calling on this person to answer the question? Why we over here, we know we know this answer too, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like little small stuff like that. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, man, you know what? We was like treated very different. Well, the things that now we call microaggressions when you were growing up were just blatant. I mean, blatant disrespect and disregard um, that, I mean, no one paid attention to. 
So you mentioned earlier that this is something that you've overcome. Educate, just education, like asking questions, asking people that those difficult questions like, uh, hey, why is the Confederate flag? You know what? Let me research why. What's so big about the Confederate flag? Hey, why do they call us these names? Why do we do this? And then I had to say to myself, like, as a black man, I'm going to have to work harder than that person over mm-hmm. there. But I can't use it as an excuse. Like, oh, I didn't get the job because I'm black. I didn't get, no, I, I just need to educate myself and understand, like, if I apply for this job that's predominantly white and I'm the minority, I got to know what I'm getting myself into. Because, you know, you got to do your research. You're like, okay, if I get to this job right here, I know it's it's 95% white and it's 5% black. And the, sometimes when, that's, when you go to a job like that, guess what? The, the white people are not against you. Most likely it's the blacks going against blacks because we're trying to get those positions. So that 5% competes against every, each other. And sometimes they just sit back and watch. Yeah, you know, you just to see and just got to prepare yourself for. So I think education was the big thing for me and having a great supportive team, like, you know, my grandparents and my uncles that was in the military that been all over the world. And they used to tell me when I said, hey, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. The first thing they tell me like, hey, watch out, make sure you're doing this. It's like they already knew. I would have been messed up if I didn't listen to them. I said, you know what? They old. They don't know what they're talking about. It was one point in my time in my life. I said, you know what? My grandparents and family have a lot of knowledge. Like even when I used to talk to my great grandfather, you know, God bless his soul. He used to be so funny. He used to be singing and dancing at McDonald's and doing all types of crazy stuff. Those conversations with those the older people, we don't have that no more. We don't go over there and talk to our grandparents. Some of our parents, grandparents, great grandparents are in the nurses home, nursing home and stuff like that. We don't take the time to go over there and understand what they went through. And then we evolve. We don't evolve anymore. It's like we now we're just holding each other back. That's such an interesting perspective. I think that's that. I think even outside of the racial conversation, I think we've heard, you know, and I'm sure, Heather, maybe you've heard something to this effect before, too. But as a professional woman. The idea of like, maybe let's not cut our legs out from underneath one another because we're all fighting to be that one that stands out. We're all fighting to be the one that smashes through the glass ceiling. And maybe if we weren't fighting each other so hard, we would probably have an easier time getting to it. I think that's, that's pervasive. And for you to have kind of some, some leadership and some guidance at a young age to look past that, I think is, I mean, kudos to your grandparents. And I very much probably would have been best friends with your great grandfather. I also like to dance at McDonald's. Oh yeah. And my great grandma, she used to dance and drink beer. So, you know, God bless great grandma, Dorothy, grandma, Dorothy was off the chain. You know, I wish I could get on my space now and get some of those pictures off of there, her dropping it low and everything, you know? Yes. Grandma Dorothy, <laughs> this is yeah, what we like. Dorothy was off the chain. <laughs> uh, I have some females that work with me, like all through the time I've met them. Oh, when they shake my hand, I always tell them, shake my hand firm. Because if by you shaking my hand real light, that means you're intimidated by a male fear. I said, uh-uh, shake my hand. Like you mean and they would look it. at me like, what are you talking right. about? What are you ta-? I said, you got to shake mm-hmm. my hand like you mean it. Like we're even, like we're even partners. But it's small stuff like that. I know you, it's funny you said that because my dad always said that like when you shake somebody's hand, it doesn't matter, like shake your hand with the grip. Like yes. don't just give. Same thing as if you're giving somebody a hug, give somebody that hug. No, this little pat on the back. Exactly. Give exactly. it like you mean No one it. wants an ass out, awkward hug. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> I know, I know. Because when you get that firm handshake and you look at look at them in their eyes, you're like, okay, you know what? This guy is real. Even when I like, if somebody came to my house or I met somebody, to me, disrespect, real disrespectful is, stand, is sitting down and shaking their hand. 
I think, oh, oh yeah, you got to stand up. You know, you got to stand up and you, you you say, hold up, hey, stand up. How you doing, sir? And you shake the hand. So you should giving them respect first. So when we're talking about this shared experience that we've all had, that the four of us have all had, which is when you shake someone's hand, shake it with intention, stand up and show some respect. Make sure that you command the attention of a room. Make sure that you support the people around you. These are basic life skills that there are certain pockets of the economy and of the of the population that don't have this information. And I think, Montreal, you had the experience. I think if anyone looked at your resume or your or even just the intro of how we introduced you today, you are a success of a man. You've had an impressive career. You have two beautiful boys. You've done life well. And it sounds like you can give some of that credit to your grandparents the way they raised you. And I want to say the you know reason why I evolved so much because I had I've had some hardships. I I didn't feel, I fell on something I fell on stuff that to the point where I know some people be like, man, won't you just give up on life? It's just like I when about four about four or five years ago I did a testimony and because I was going through a lot and you know I admit man I was I was suicidal you know I you know that's just the pressure of trying to perform and live up to the expectations, trying to do this, be a father, be a son, all that pressure. And then when, when your career goes off track and you're like, I don't have no options. I'm glad that I went through what I went through because I would have never evolved as I am now. Because now when I talk to people and I see people struggling, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, I'm able to give them some advice to put them in the right direction so they don't go through what I went through. Because not too many people could have handled that. I'm talking about, it was to the point where I, I, I remember one time I had, I made $20 last three weeks. Um, I get to tell you this funny story. You, you ever, anybody ever been to Piggly Wiggly? It's more than like, yes, the I've been to a Piggly Wiggly. Wiggly. Um, I, went, I went to this grocery store and I had like $2. I had $2. I said, man, I wanted some burgers and I had the ground beef. I said, I'm going to cook these burgers on the grill. So I brought this cheese. Cheese is like 99 cent for a pack of 20. So that's sign number one. I shouldn't have brought that cheese. <laughs> I went and brought that cheese. And I remember when I cooked it, I, when I cooked it on the grill, guess what? Instead of the cheese melting down, it folded. No, up. what? Like it, it folded. It folded. I'll never forget that. And I remember when I ate, I ate that burger in the middle of the night, my stomach, I said, oh, Lord, what is this? It felt like I had an alien. I mean, God stomach. bless the Piggly Wiggly, but don't buy 99 cent cheese. And I remember uh, I, when I was going to my doctor in the, mili- uh, in the military, behavioral health doctor, and I was telling that story, man, he laughed so hard for like 20 <laughs> minutes. Like he just, every time he seen me and I came to talk to him, he said, what's up? You buy any more of that cheese? <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. And you know, and the thing is like, that helped me. Right. Like he, I'm, I'm thankful for that guy. I, you know, I try to look him up and talk to him. Like one time I was ashamed to go get help to get to be able to talk about stuff to build those mental barriers. And he was the person that helped me a lot because the more I talked about it with other people instead of holding it in, the better I got. The easier it got. So I was mm-hmm. it can be yes, yes. It was sometimes if you sitting by yourself and you and you drinking or whatever, that's like the worst thing you can do, man. That is the truth. I'm so glad you brought that up because we've had some really interesting conversation very recently about things from the military perspective. And that's another reason we were so excited to talk to you. We just got done talking a little while ago about this movement that we're experiencing now where people are up in arms in a very loud and very public way about monuments to the Confederacy. And a specific piece of that argument is military bases that are named after Confederate generals. Do you have an opinion on whether or not those should be changed? I think they should be changed. Because okay. like I said, when, you serve, when, when you're serving the military, there's no color. We all bleed red. When we're on that battlefield, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, we got to have our, we got to have each other's back. 
But some bases that you go to, it's really, really, it's really, really difficult, especially mm-hmm. being a person of a different of a different race. And you know, one base that I was my, that I ended my career is when I was at Fort Campbell. And I remember going through the whole process of, you know, when I was going through everything. And I remember going to that JAG office. And I remember going inside the JAG office, like the lawyer office or whatever, when you handle your case and everything. And I remember going inside there and all I seen was black and Hispanic people, young soldiers, like 19, 20, 21 years old. And you're talking to them like, oh, yeah, all I did was do this, this and this. The military is trying to kick me out. But then you go. I remember I used to deliver pieces of abdominals and I would talk to another soldier that was white and he had the same thing, but they kept him, they kept him in the military. All they did gave him was extra duty. So, you know, I seen a lot. And that's, again, it goes back to that, that mental slavery and keeping that thumb on people to succeed. Being at Fort Campbell, I ran across a lot of people that just because of my personality, I don't, I don't know what it was. I just rubbed people the wrong way sometimes. Yeah, I made some bad decisions or some bad mistakes. At the same time, I admitted to it. Like I, I didn't place the blame or, oh, I did this because of this. I can do this, did this or whatever. But then I would see another person do something similar. He did that too, or he did something worse. And it's just like, oh, just sweep it on, sweep it on the road. So with regard to changing the names, do you think that going to serve on yeah. a base that is, that is commemorating and honoring a general that fought to oppress your ancestors do you think that that had a subliminal subliminal effect on you while you were there or on the people that were perpetuating this kind of consistent racism? A lot of us, okay. we, we, when we go to a new base, we say, oh, we're going to Fort Campbell. Oh, we're going to Fort Hood. All we know is the base we're going to. We never, some of us never researched the history behind it. Okay. And when some of us start educating ourselves and then we're like, oh man, this guy was, he was a slave owner. Oh, he was this, this, and this. So then so I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, we need to get the hell off this base. So if we, if they were to be changed, what do you think they should be changed to? I think it should be a balance. Okay. I think it should be a balance. You know, give, name a base. that I know it's a lot of Hispanic, Asian, all type of race that did something good for the military and did something great to honor their country. Make the balance. Balance it. Balance it out. So it shows everybody gets a piece of the pie. I really like that because, you know, um, we've been talking a lot about black and white, but you just said something that we haven't really been talking about is it's not just black and white. It's not just black and white. And of course we know that, but I love that idea of if we're going to change something, let's actually change it in a meaningful Meaningful way rather than just sticking to those two boundaries. Yeah. You got so many people that served their country and gave their life. Like I remember in the military, when I first came in the military, I never watched war movies. And when I started watching those war movies, I was like, man, that guy died there. Like when I watched, I think it was Saving Private Ryan. I never knew what storming, you know, Normandy Beach was about until I said, I said, no way that happened in, in real life. And when you go talk to some of those people mm-hmm. that some veterans that work at the VA hospitals and stuff like that, they say, yes, it was just like that. Vietnam was just like that. And it makes you, you got to have a sense of pride. Be like, man, you know what? I'm representing these people's names. When I go out here and I wear this uniform, you know, none of us are not perfect. Like I said, I made, you know, I made a dumb mistake and everything and I'm paying and I paid for it. But when I had that uniform on, I made sure I tried to help everyone, try to represent as good as I could. But some people don't think of that. You got some people, I call them lunch money victims that got, you know, I hate to say it got, some of them got picked on in school or got treated very bad in school by certain people. And they come in the military to get that authority. And I've had this happen. I had this happen to a, a person I knew. 
he had like this one guy didn't like this other person because the guy reminded him of a bully that used to pick on him in school. So he got PTSD from school, uh -oh. brought it into the military and treated every person that had those physical features different because it reminded him of that bully that picked, him in, picked on him in school. It's crazy. It's just like the nature uh -huh. of the beast, you know, and you try to explain about it. You try to tell your supervisor, you try to tell, but as long as they're not doing nothing to cause harm on you, you sometimes you kind of kind of like deal with it. It's like they know how to walk that, that line without crossing that boundary. And what it does it forces you like, you know what? I'm getting the hell out of the military. I'm not staying in the military anymore. Knowing that you got in, you should at least get your education or something before you get out. So now you come in the military with nothing. Now you leave with nothing because you let somebody else dictate your decision to get out. And that's sometimes when you wind up getting a lot of homeless veterans because they get out. They're so eager to get out that they don't care about what's what's out. They just want to get out of the military. They don't want to deal with authority. So now you got a lot of homeless people on the streets. That's why they want to live like that because they don't want to deal with authority because somebody in the military or somewhere gave them PTSD from being their leader. And then you have an entire new identity crisis that you have to face at exactly. 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 that you never experienced when you were 18 trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up because you're trying not to die. Terrible. Yes. And I got, and I went to, when I went to Iraq and Kuwait, I didn't get PTSD from when we was flying in a helicopter and we thought we was getting shot at. I got PTSD from dealing with the, some of the leaders that were there. Like I, I, I embraced going to war and I knew that I, so I had to take care of so-and-so. I had to take care of my soldiers. I had to take care of somebody's son or somebody's daughter to bring them back home. Right. That was my focus. When I had to deal with some of the leaders and some of the decisions they made, mm -hmm. like I got more of PTSD from dealing with that. Like they, I'm, I'm trying to, like I said, if I, if you're my leader, I'm going to be, I'm going to sacrifice everything I can to make you look good. But you got some of them, they don't care about that. They want you to give you more. And you'd be like, man, there's only so much you can do. So I've pummeled you with about a thousand questions. And I know that Buanga and Heather have a whole bunch more that they want to talk to you about. Oh, so, yeah. So I was going to ask, like, how would you rate your military experience? Was it good or bad? Oh, I would say my military experience was like one of the best experiences I ever had in my life. It, I, it, it taught me how to, like I say, evolve. I tried to understand all the different races. I have friends that had Confederate flags. I have friends that had family members in the KKK. I have I have friends that were in gangs and Mexican gangs, black gangs and everything. But the thing that I take from is that I learned about them. Instead of me rejecting them, I asked them more questions. I asked them to educate mm -hmm. me. I said, hey, man, why? I said, why do you think your family are precious? You know, I asked those, I asked those questions. Sometimes they look to you like, you know what? I never thought about that either. You know, they, sometimes they don't even know. They just say they know that, that that's how they were taught in their household. But the military being that 17 years, um, meeting some of the most inspirational people ever, like from all the highest ranked people to just the lowest ranked people. I learned something from every one of them. And I took a piece of what they taught me, good or bad. And I put it in my toolbox and everything. That's what's helped me when I got out of the military, be a, a better person when I work at Amazon, because you got so many different people from different culture backgrounds. It's almost just like being in the military again. And that 17 year experience then helped me develop a lot of leadership and managerial skills where always treat a person as an individual and always look for the good in everyone. You have a really good attitude like that though, in general, like what you said earlier, the whole, you know, it's going to be harder for you, but guess what? You acknowledge that and move on. The best part about knowing that and acknowledging that is not that you can wallow in it, but that you can still push forward and make it 
not matter. Yeah, because when you live in fear, and, and that's where all the races and all that stuff, when you're living in fear, that's what makes all the hate. When you, This is like Master Yoda. Like when you have fear, you have hate. That's what causes a lot of just fear. And comes, fear also comes from not knowing and not educating yourself of somebody. So if you say, okay, I remember, um, I know, I don't know if this is off topic, but I, used to, I, I had soldiers that were, that were homosexual, that was gay, and I was a homophobic. I was, man, I was like real homophobic. I said, oh, I ain't gonna be around no gay guy, person, this, this, this. So what happens when, as a leader, I got three soldiers that are gay, what do I do? Do I treat them different? So guess what I did? I went to some drag shows to educate myself on their world. It helped out a lot. It helped out a lot, especially them seeing me there showed that I supported them no matter what your lifestyle is. I'm still going to be your leader. I'm still going to treat you fair. I'm still going to give you the opportunity to succeed. And when they felt that they didn't have to come to work and live in fear of their supervisor treating them different, guess what? They excelled. They excelled in doing everything because they weren't living in fear no more. Yeah. And that's what and that's what's happening. And then when you got somebody living in fear, guess what? They either going to back off or they're going to attack. And that's what some people, that's what some people are doing now. When they're living in fear, you got a dog back in the corner they say, you know what? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna attack. We we got I gotta get out of this corner. I gotta get out of this this strange feeling that I have. And, but it's gonna make even though it's gonna cause harm, cause harm to somebody else, it's gonna make them feel good because they're getting that anger out the wrong way. Like me dealing with racism, I'll just go to the gym. I, I just go to the gym. That's that was my reset button. Going to the gym and also playing football. That was me getting that anger, all that anger and frustration out when I was playing. I played football like my first fifteen years in the military. And that was my anger management to get all that. When I was tackling people, I pictured those racist people that I used to be around. I pictured those supervisors that didn't like me and everything. That's how I reset. So when I came back to work, I didn't hold nothing personal against them. So you just said two things that I really love and I want to reiterate and point out. One is that when you recognized that there was someone in your unit that intimidated you in some sort of way. And and I don't mean, I mean, intimidated in that you said you were homophobic. You didn't know how to deal with that. You didn't know. So rather than internalizing it and probably acting badly, you took it upon yourself to go and educate yourself. That made the situation better. Now, the second thing that I really love, and again, I want to point out is that you've acknowledged from a very young age that you've experienced a lot of racial discrimination and of course anger and frustration over that but you found a way to consistently channel that in a positive way through exercise and sports and fitness and i think those yes. are really important points because that those are two things that i think a lot of people struggle with whether it be racism or not i think a lot of people really struggle with feeling oppressed in some way or another and Rather than allowing yourself, again, to wallow in that, you said, let me educate myself because I can't be a jerk to this person that's working for me and we're going to work better together. Exactly. And it's like the power the power of choice. Some people have the choice to, you know what, am I going to educate myself? Or I'm going to sit back here and have I have too much pride and ego. Oh, I ain't going to no gay bar. I'm not gay. It's not just because you're good at it. I mean, I'd have some of the best times there. Like we go as a group, you know, we go as a group, though. And we always we had some of the best times there, had some good times. But at the same time, you know, you you edu- you educating yourself, you educating yourself, and that's why I think in schools they need to have classes to educate kids on racism, on like what what can happen when you go out into the real when you go out there into the real world and you apply for this job, and also for women too. 
Like as some women, even it don't matter if you're a black woman, white woman, Hispanic woman, you got it just as bad as that black man that or that Hispanic man or whatever that's trying to get that white collar job. Cause now they don't they don't look at women on the same playing field. So now you gotta work three or four times as hard, or you gotta evolve even faster to get yourself in that position. You're gonna have to be a, I say an asshole to certain people because some people are gonna take your kindness for weakness and try to exploit you when they see a, a time to say, oh, oh, she has weakness. Hey, let's exploit it. Hey, let's say this. Oh yeah, she used to smoke weed in college. Let's go tell the supervisor, or tell the boss that, hey, she shouldn't get the job because she smoked weed. It's like small stuff like that that people look for. Another thing that I wanted to touch on that you brought up is PTSD. And again, we just talked about the fact that you have found a constructive, positive way to channel that. But you know, you and I have had conversations in the past that PTSD doesn't always come from the places that we think it comes from. So because a lot of people assume, okay, so if you're from the military, then your PTSD is automatically directly related to some specific war interaction. Yes. Will you kind of talk on that a little bit? Yeah, sometimes PTSD in the military, you can have something happen to you. And when it happened to you, you was eating something at that time. So every time you smell that certain food, it reminds you, oh, Oh no, and, and you just can't think. Just you just shell shocked. Certain song. You have some women in the military that were battered by their spouses and stuff like that. And how a, a, a male approaches them from behind and taps them on the shoulder, and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" You know, they they freak out and they and they just go into straight shell shock. And you know, and I and I have friends in the military that that committed suicide, and that is something real hard to deal with. And you wonder, like, what type of trauma were they going through, or how could you? It's always going to eat you up. Like, could I said something more to him? Why were the signs? How would we didn't recognize the signs? Sometimes the signs are right there in front of you, but some of us are so blind, we just kind of like ignore. Oh, they'll be good. Like in the military, in, in my unit, nobody never knew I was, you know, suicidal because you know I always came to work, smiled. I always went to the gym and always working out, always smiling. But man, deep down inside, man, I was hurting. I was hurting bad. To the point, to the point, like sometimes, man, I'll just like walk home, like like a certain song will come on or something like that, and I just like, man, I'm failing as a as a black man right now. My my grandparents are gonna be ashamed of me if they find out about this happening to me in the military. All my friends, they see me on Facebook doing all these workouts and stuff like that, and I look happy, but deep down inside, they just don't know what I'm going through. So that's why when I got out of the military, a lot of people say, "You're not in the military no more. You're not in the military no more," and they kind of like mess. And I say, if you want to know, message me on the side. So they would instance message me and I would tell them because I had to face that fear. I didn't want nobody to create the rumors. Oh, he did this. That's why he got this. He this. I attacked it myself. I, anybody that sent me a message and they wanted to talk to me, I would talk to them about it. And I would explain to them the bad decisions that I made. And this is what happened. And they say, you don't miss it. I say, yeah, I miss the military, but I got to move on. I can't sit there and think about, oh, and then next thing you know, all these job opportunities are passing me by. So I say, you know, I'm not going to dwell in my fear anymore. I'm going to face the fear, face what everybody's going to talk about me. I, I, like I said, I had to evolve again. And then I moved on, got me a job at, at you know, got a job at Amazon. I say, you know, what? I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to show people that you can be on the bottom and still rise up. You can, people can talk about you. People can call you names. People can do stuff to your, you know, just bad mouth your whole persona, but you can still rise up because it's your choice to get up and prove them wrong. And then like I say, whatever happened to the military, I, it's some people that I could blame for what happened, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take it upon myself to move up. Cause then when they see me moving up, they were like, man, I remember when Corbin went through this, this, and this, 
And look now, he's he's a manager at Amazon, even though he went through this. You know what? Let me hit him up and find out what did he do. You know, I get messages all the time from people asking like, hey, I went through this, this, and this. How, how did you get through it? And that's one thing I, I'm grateful for. That's one thing that I started pushing more to like, man, I can use my stories to help other people. And that's my th- And then it's therapy for me. Like, actually, it's therapy for me. It's building my mental barriers up more. It's like, dang, I just helped this person do this. I just helped this person at work understand this. And you won't believe at work, I'm more of a counselor. Like, people will come up to me and say, Monty, I got problems with my my wife, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, man, I'm not, I, I got divorced. And here I am giving somebody advice about marriage. So what I'm doing, I'm telling them, like, hey, this is what I did. And you don't want to do this, and you, you want to do this and this and this. You need you might you might need a date now. You need to start learning how to date each other over again. He's like, you know what? I never thought about that. You know, so so I use all my faults and failures to help other people, especially like the gym. I say, you, I'm 40 years old. I'll be telling people like it's all mental. It's like you, I've had so many injuries in the military. I've had like knee busted knee, uh, ruptured patella tendon, torn meniscus, and everything, and I'm still in the gym hitting it hard because it's the mental. I'm not going to let myself give, I'm not going to let myself give up and Wallace, oh, I can't do this weight or I can't run because I had surgery. Because once you plant that seed of failure or you don't want to proceed, it's going to grow. It's going to branch out. And then you'd be like, next thing you know, you'd be a candidate for a heart attack because you just let your whole self go now, you know? So now I just want to show, you know, help people out and just say, hey, you can push yourself. It don't matter how old you are. You can still get out there. You know, I was 40 years old and I did three cartwheels. It hurt like hell. Everything, everything in my body popped. Everything in my my hips and everything popped. But I said, man, you know what? I'm 40 years old. I did three cartwheels in a row. I said, that's pretty good. Hey, B, can you do a cartwheel? I used to back in the day, but I don't see. See, I, you think about it. Like, no, let me, let me yeah. sure when I did it, I was in the park by myself, like away from anybody. <laughs> Is there nobody? And, can I, see did, and I practiced about six or seven times before I recorded the video. And make sure that it, it was like a good cartwheel, you know? So it's like small stuff like that. You know, when people see they're like, all right, he did a cartwheel. You know what? Let me try to do a cartwheel with my kids outside. Let me get more active with my grandkids. Let me get more active with this. Even though I got I had surgery on my heart, let me still go out here and try to walk. Let me go ahead and try to do something, you know? Yeah, I think sharing your story, and you've always been pretty open about that, is so important because... In the world that we live in, it, there's a lot of social media and looking at people posting the highlight reel as opposed to the full background. So I think it's so important to yes. share the dirty stuff. Now, you don't have to put yes. it on social media, but be open to having that as a conversation with other people because it is inspiring. Because then they really know. They don't just see, oh, he's doing yeah. so amazing and it's because he's amazing. It's they hear the background and they're like, okay, so he's actually been through the trenches and he made a decision that it was up to him that he was going to pull himself out of it. And when you saying that, I posted that testimony video. I don't know if you saw it or whatever, but I, I posted a video just saying like everything I went through and everybody was like, what? You was this? You was like, people was like messaging me like crazy. Like, thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. You really helped me out with this, this, and this. And I didn't think it was going to be that serious. I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll post this, you know, and see what happens. But it really helped a lot of people because then I realized that a lot of people was going through almost similar stuff or even worse, what I was going through, what I was going through. And uh, it helped, it helped, it helped a bunch of people out, you know, just give them that like that extra gear, that extra gear to kind of move forward and get through that mud instead of just being come stagnant. Because sometimes you also... For you, when you hear somebody else's story and you you look at your story, you're like, man, he've gone through worse than what 
I'm going through. So it's like what I'm going through is even a quarter whatever this person have gone through and they're still standing and they're still pushing through. So it makes you feel like, oh, if he can be where he's at after going through what he's gone through, my one, what I'm going through is nothing. So then he encouraged them. He, he just keep people pushing to keep fighting. Yep. And, you, and you'll come out stronger and a better person. Like your eyes will become open. Like I used to have tunnel vision. And when I went through all that storm and muddy water and everything, now my vision just opened up even more. Now I can see more stuff as on a different perspective. I'd be like, you know what, Darren, I see that person going through that. Man, I can help him. Instead of like back in the day when I had tunnel vision, I'd be like, oh, oh, that, you're on your own. Let me get away from you. And that's where it happens to us as human beings. Like we see somebody struggling and know we can help them and we'll look the other way. And Amazon, we do stand-ups where we talk to our, our employees for like two to three minutes. And I told people, I said, if you walk by a person and you know you can help them and they're struggling, you can't help and you don't help them. I say, you're a messed up human being. And everybody just got quiet, but you see their heads were nodding because in Amazon, you got to work together as a team. You see somebody struggling on the line scanning, and you know you can go over there and help them scan them packages down, but then you just walk the other way like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Right then and there, that's showing how you are as a human being. When the trenches get rough, guess what? You're going to bail on your people. And that's the type of manager. Basically, that's the type of manager I am. I want to build a family environment where people know they come to work. They know they're going to get treated with respect and get treated as an individual. What would you share with, because obviously your mindset is amazing, but you've also been in really low points and you've pulled yourself out of really low points. So what would you share if you could have a conversation with somebody at a low point? What would you share with them to help them push through? Make sure you surround yourself with positive people and love yourself first because nobody else is going to love you more than yourself. You got to you got to make sure you surround yourself with the right team that's going to be there behind your back. If you say, hey, I think about applying for this job here, they're not going to be like, oh, don't do that. You, you're not going to do right at that job. They should be, hey, go for it. I'm going to back you up 100 percent. Even that's for you to move out of the country or move out of the state. Like when I was moving to New like I was living in New Hampshire and I found out my grandma said, you're going to move out there in California. And people say, you going to move out of California. I said, yeah. But the thing is, you guys said, go and do it. I had nobody say stay. I had multiple people, like everybody was talking like, hey, go and do it. Because now, guess what? You got somebody that lives in California. If you need somebody to stay, now you can stay in California, you know, because it benefits all of us. And that's what we have to do. We got to do more encouraging, forcing our friends to make that jump. Don't be scared. But at the same time, knowing like, you know what? If it don't make it out there, at least you know you got a place to come back. Hey, you can come crash with me for two or three weeks until you get your place back, blah, 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 blah. Encourage people to make that jump. And that's what a lot of us don't do. We don't do that no more. We want to hold each other back because we're scared they're going to power up and make a move. And that's the problem. And, that, and that's the problem. And, you know, and that, you know, I hate to say that's one thing I see with black folk. We hate to, like when I was, you believe it, when I was working, I was working in a chicken plant when I graduated high school, didn't go to college and nothing like that, working in a chicken plant, Purdue Farms. I'm glad I worked there too because those two years I met a lot of older guys, a lot of, like, a lot of older guys that I, when I was growing up. I learned a lot from them because I used to be, I, had a, I was a small-minded kid. And they educated me on how hard life is. Now you're in the big, you're in the big leagues. Now this this job don't care if you sink or swim. And I remember when I when I got, I said, I'll never get this one story. Like the chickens like fall down by weight. And I remember I was had to pick the chickens off the floor, clean them off. And when I was cleaning them off, I had to cut the line off. So when you cut the line off for every, I think one second, the plant loses like 
$5,000 or something that that line is turned off. So I had it turned off. And I remember the supervisor was a white guy and he walked over there. He said, what's going on? What's going on? I said, hey, the, the USDA is going to shut the line down. I got to clean the floor. And he seen me struggling. He seen me picking those chickens up. I was struggling. You know what he did? He turned that line back on and all those chickens came and hit me on the side of the damn face. I'll never forget that. All that. You know, like you got a raw chicken and you're about to cook it. All of it, all that stuff went in my mouth oh. and everything. And I, he didn't even say sorry or anything. He just walked away. And I said, the hell with this. So the next day, I went and talked to the military recruiter. And I said, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. And when I told people that I was going to talk to the military recruiter, it was about eight or nine people trying to talk me out of it. Oh, you're going to go in the military. You're going to have the, the man, the white man telling you what to do. I said, well, he telling me what to do here. I said, at least I'm going to go see the country. You won't believe a lot of them was trying to hold me back. Bunch of people I never forget. And when I went and I graduated, I lost like 20 some pounds and everything. I came back with that uniform on. I was so happy. You know, some of them didn't even speak to me. A lot of them turned their back. I never forget that. I'll never forget that. What do you attribute that to? Like what they turned their back because you succeeded? Yes. Yes. Because I did something that they didn't want me to do. They, I made a power. I made a, you know, I powered up. But it was, they had the same opportunities as I did. All they had to do is stop smoking the weed and stuff. Let's go. Hey, let's go in the military. Let's go. Yeah. But that, I remember that was one time that I felt like my own race kind of turned their back on me. On that time, they didn't push me to do better. They wanted me to stay there in that same pot with all the crabs pulling each other down and, and everybody and everybody struggling, li- living the paycheck to paycheck. Don't get me wrong. The military is not for everybody. But I never forget this guy said this, this guy named Lou Tyler, he, you know, guy, so he passed away too. I admired him as I was a little kid. He, he went to school with my uncle. He used to play basketball and stuff. And he said, you're an athlete. He said, you shouldn't even be here. He, he watched me play football in high school and everything, man. When he, those words to this day still stick with me. When he said, he said, you're an athlete. He said, look at him. He don't smoke. He don't drink. He don't do nothing. He's an athlete. Man, you don't need to be in here. You need to get out of here. Those words like stuck me for a while because that's when I started to get in the gym and start working out. I said, man, I said, I'm going to find a way to get out. Of here. I'm going to either go to college or I'm going to do something to get out of here. And then I had my son. And then I was like, you know what? This is my motivation. That was my motivation when I went to boot camp. Those drill sergeants was yelling at me and stuff. I said, I got to, I'm doing this for my son. You know, that, that was like the one time that, you know, it kind of, bothered me. And then when I came back home, a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of like kicked you to the curb. I mean, kicked you to the curb. They written you up like, oh, you think you better than us now? Or you think, I was like, I'm, I'm serving my country. I'm, I'm serving my country right now. So, hey, I, I'm no different. I'm still the same Montreal that grew up in the hood. I just had to start building my foundation for life. You just made a decision that they were too scared to make. I mean, that would be my take. Yes. Yes. And I think, it, yes. I mean, you're you're speaking from your perspective, which is a black male. And I can speak from my perspective as a white female in that it happens with females too. Yes. The scarcity mentality. It's like, well, if he makes it, then there's no room for me. That it's, it's such a sad thing because it's so not true. Exactly. It's not true. I came back home, like some of the, the girls I had crushed on, I said, man, I'm in the military. I got me a career going now. I said, I'm going to try to holler. I said, I'm going to try to holler at her right now. And a lot of them like blew me off, man. A lot of them like blew me off. They, they didn't want it. They want, they didn't want, I, you know, I changed my dressing style. Like I didn't wear the baggy clothes. I dressed more like preppy with my little jeans that I got from uh, Banana Republic and stuff, man. I said, you know, I got my little, change it up. Yeah, but I felt so out of place because when I went back home and I was dressed like that, everybody looked at me like, what, what, what are you dressed like that for? What are you trying to do? He tried to dress like old preppy white boy or something like that. You know, you hear, you hear the stuff like that now. That was back then in like in 2000. But now, 
everybody dresses like in that because in order to, you know, you got to evolve. But when I was trying to do that, man, I remember, man, like I got made fun of a couple of times and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, man, this is me. Because California was my first duty station. So I came back with a California mentality. Like, hey, man, I know I can't get in this bar. I'm going to dress up. But back home, you didn't have to dress up to go into the clubs and the bars and stuff. You can put your jersey on, pants sagging, this, this, and this. I still respect the guys that did that. But I know I'm trying to change myself. I'm trying to, I got a son that's going to look up to me. You know, I got, I'm representing my grandparents. I'm representing my family's name when I'm going out. So I want to be the one to say, oh, Miss Gladys, Mr. Charlie, I saw your grandson. He's, he's so respectful. He said, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, I want to leave that impression that, hey, my grandparents taught me manners. So a lot of people don't carry that family legacy on. They let it die off when their parents or their grandparents die off. It's like, it's done. You know, to, to answer the question that what you would say to someone who's in that dark space is to reach out to people. Go outside of yourself yes. and be open about it because people would be yes. more willing than they might imagine and put, help give you a hand yes. up, right? And you need that positive influence to be able to pull yourself. Love yourself first, but acknowledge that yourself doesn't exist without other people. And also accept the help if they give it to you. Because I had these two soldiers when I was going through my issues, I, my truck had got cracked. I messed my truck up. So I had to be in the shop. So I had no car, I couldn't go nowhere, I didn't have no money. It was a whole bunch of stuff going on. And I never forget the, the one soldier named Joel Ogon and another soldier named Chris, Crystal Pulley. They, she let me drive her car to the gym. And she didn't have to do that. She said, hey, she said, hey, 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 Star Corbin, you can take my car to the gym. I'm like, what? Really? And she did it without hesitation. And then I remember it was Memorial Day weekend. I didn't have no car, man. And that was the time that the suicide thoughts hit me the hardest. Because that's when I was really going through it. And I was going to say, man, you know what? This is going to be the weekend that's going to happen. You know, it's now that the, the devil's planting that seed and it's like churning and churning. And I'm sitting there drinking and it's churning. And this guy, Joe Ogon, I remember he had to go pick his wife up from the airport. He had just bought his wife a car. So they had two cars. He said, hey, he said, man, I know you ain't got no car. He said, huh, you can borrow my car over the weekend. I said, what? Brand new Camry. That's when the Camry's body styles has changed. So he had a brand new black Toyota Camry. And I said, you gonna let me borrow your car over the weekend? And I, to this day, I told him, I told him this uh, about, I talked to him about two weeks ago and I talked to him, I still tell him, I said, you guys saved my life. I said, you guys just don't know, man. And it's like, when I told him that I was going to do kind of might do it that weekend, that whole mindset just changed. And also another person named Sergeant McGee, she'd probably get mad if she ever hears this, but when I didn't have no money, she let me, she gave me $300. She gave me $300. That $300 lasted me for a while until I got my job with Domino's. And then once I got my job with Domino's, I was able to uh, deliver pizzas and stuff like that and, and make more money. But I talked to her not even about two months ago. and We laughed about all the stuff that I used to do and make her laugh and stuff. But how you treat people is like the key. Though If I had treated those people crappy, even though I was going through everything and say, you know what, I'm going to lash out on you, I'm going to lash out on you. They, I treated them like a human being. Even though I was going through my hell, I still treated them like a person. And that came back to benefit me when I was in my darkest time. At my darkest time, man, they came. And I was like, I look back at it and I was like, wow, man. that Those three events in my life was the three events that saved me and showed that people do care about you. You just got to keep pulling forward. You got to keep pushing forward. Don't think what those other people talking about your stuff. Care about the ones that are rooting for you to do good. And they always rooting for me. 
Like even to this day, they said it was when I when I got the job with Amazon and all that. They said, "Oh man, we're glad you're doing so great. We're so proud of you." Man, those words were like the best words I ever heard in a long, long time. What you just said is look for the people who are supporting you and rise up with them as opposed to getting pulled down by the negative people that are just repeating the same process. We we have been talking on this podcast and it's about diversity, but it is right now we're focusing a lot on race because we're, we're seeing a lot of racial issues and disparities. Would it be fair for me to apply that to the current situation in saying that if you see a white ally or a black ally, join them. Don't look at them in the face and say it's not good enough, but join them. Yes, yes. You join them. You, you got to join them. We got to give more love. Like even when I go out here in Fresno, I didn't know that there are racist people in Fresno, California, in Clovis. So sometimes I go downtown Clovis and whatever, and I'll go to the bar or whatever. And you won't believe the looks that I get. Like they're trying to stare and find out like, why is this black guy in this in this bar? And I'm not, sometimes I'm the only black guy in there. Sometimes you're going to have to put yourself, not saying da- real dangerous territory, but put yourself in the enemy's backyard to understand why is it that you don't like, what did I ever do to you? You don't even know me. And that's why sometimes when people ask me why I'm always wearing my dog tag, I wear them for a reason. Because most people, most people look at veterans different. It kind of gives me, not saying it makes me better than anybody else, but it's like, okay, he's a black man. He's in the wrong area, but dang, he served his country. So the first thing they'll come up to me and ask, did you serve? And I guess that's the opening line. When they ask me that and I say, yeah, I served 17 years. I did this, this, and this. Now they're asking me questions. So now that's my opportunity to educate them about black men. And they sit there and they're listening because that open line, they say, yeah, I raised in the country, blah, 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 this, this, and this, my grandparents. And it's like, oh, you raised by your grandparents? I was raised by my grandparents. Now we yeah. just, now we just like talked about something that we have similar interests in or we have alike. So now we're having a good conversation. Something like that happened. Then next thing you know, that guy was inviting me to his house for dinner to meet his family. I love that. So find common ground and outside of what you just look like. Exactly. Yeah. And when I walked in there, I never get his kid. <laughs> he had a little kid's kid looked at me like, <laughs> well, you're pretty, you're oh, tall. Whoa. He's like, <laughs> he's like, who's, you know, but, but then we started then and next thing you know, his son played Fortnite. I played Fortnite every now and then. So I was able to relate to his son on that level. Mm-hmm. So now his son was talking to me. It's like, man, it's like, it's like you got to be willing to swallow your own pride and put yourself in a situation where you're like, yeah, anybody else is like, man, I'm not going to those white people's houses. They ain't gonna, but you can't have that mindset. Yeah. If, if a different race invites you over to their house or whatever, take it. Even when Hispanic, you know, I had invited, I went to uh, one of my coworkers had a, birth, a surprise birthday party and they all invited me. I was the only black guy there, but I went. Because I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to meet her family, I wanted to educate myself more because on a lot of stuff. Well, you're educating yourself and you're also educating them, yes. right? Because even if you're not there to educate them, you're giving a different perspective. You're there as you and now they can see you as you. And yes, it's not about being colorblind. You are black exactly. and that's not going to change. You are still you. But now they can look at you as you because they have a chance and an opportunity to talk to you. And now all of a sudden they can realize Montrell's just Montrell. Like he doesn't have to be that big black guy that I'm scared of. Exactly. And they can ask the questions that they always were afraid to ask. And I tell them, I say, hey, if you want to ask me any questions to ask, I'll give you the black version just to educate yourself. I had a lot of them ask. They're like, hey, why is it they say everybody can't have eat while all black people eat fried chicken, watermelon? I said, well, this one black person doesn't eat watermelon. I hate it. You do? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand watermelon. Watermelon's like it's nasty as hell. You're not I do not eat watermelon. I think it's the nastiest thing ever. 
And they all bust out laughing. I said, I can tell you this one thing, though. I said, a lot of black people can't swim. And I'm one of them that can't swim. And I said, the reason and I said, the reason why we watched a lot of movies back in the day that made us scared of water. I said, one movie right now I can think of was Jaws. Like every black person, when they about to go jump in the water, they said, man, I ain't jumping in that water. Jaws is in there. <laughs> you can post well, it on Facebook. Well, go to a pool. Both of you need to learn how to swim. Both of you. <laughs> This is not acceptable. Both oh, of you I'll need to learn how to swim. I'll jump in the water, but I just don't know how to swim. Like, I'll go waist deep. If that's, that's the rule. Waist deep. Okay. And then when a wave comes up and pulls you in. Nope. That's what I'm saying. We know. Waist deep. If we feel anything weird, touch our leg, guess what? We're running out of that water. <laughs> or you <laughs> could just learn how there. to swim. Uh-uh. No, I'm too old. I'm too uh-uh. I'm good. I almost did in Boy Scouts. And then once I stopped going to Boy Scouts, I started playing sports and stuff. I, it just like went away. I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to need it. And then when I went to Australia, everybody else is jumping in the water in the Great Barrier Reef. And I'm just looking at them like, man, everybody's in the water. It's and I'm so sitting, the only one nice sitting on the boat. in there. <laughs> I jumped in there, but I had a <laughs> uh, life vest on. But when my feet couldn't touch the bottom or touch anything, I jumped right back out. Yeah. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. nope. <laughs> One thing, one thing you mentioned, which kind of stuck out, and is, is when you say when when people invite you, people of a different culture invite you, and you go, and I feel that like that's the best way to learn about somebody else's culture, because a lot of yes. time you can read history, you can read, but it's like how do you know whose perspective are you reading from? But exactly. when you meet somebody and you get to talk to them one on one. First, you you cl- you become close to that person. You you learn directly to the person that went through the experience, and when you leave that conversation, you don't leave empty. You leave with something that will remain with you, knowing that like I spoke to this gentleman about racial watermelon and whatever yeah, exactly. things that might have, and then next time they meet somebody else, then they won't trying to stereotype people exactly. about, hey, watermelon is like, no, I know the first black person <laughs> that I've had a conversation with, he said he hate watermelon. So it's not like it, it will debunk the whole stereotype of these group of people are like this. Yeah, I have a funny story about that, B, and I think I've told you this. Amelia, my niece, actually, when she first met you, she told me, she said, when I first saw B, she's like, I thought he was just kind of a a grumpy, tough guy. And then he started talking. And now I know he's just a (laughs) softie. And I'm like, it's so cute. I mean, literally, she she's a 15 or about to be 15 now. But when she expressed this to me was about a year and a half, two years ago. And I'm like, that's amazing. Because I mean, look, B is just a real softie. But at the time he was going to the gym a lot. So he was all like stocky. And she thought he was a big tough guy. And then he started talking to her. And she's like, Oh, he's just a regular guy. So I think that is important. But then it's like, if she will have seen me on the street or anything and be like, oh, no, that guy, right. no, stay away from that person or don't approach him. And But talking to the person and be like, oh, it, it debunk all these things that you've had in your mind of thinking mm-hmm. people are this way. And then you start to think differently. Well, and it's the same thing. So now if she sees someone on the street and, and they look like you or she has that thought through her mind, she has the experience of saying, well, I thought that about B first too, but now it's not true. And same with you, Montreal, like the experience you had when you were invited over to dinner, maybe that little kid would have been initially scared, but now he knows you and you talked about, um, what's it called again? Fortnite. 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 Like <laughs> You're talking about really? Fortnite. So now he's going to be like, well, yeah, I mean, that guy's, you know, big and tall and he's dark and he looks different than me, but 
I know Montreal and he's pretty cool. So you just don't know. You just don't know how many people I done scared, <laughs> kept scared out at the gym or scared. Like, like I remember one lady was walking around the corner and you know, she, you know how they, they walking and, and they're texting and I just, and you know, I come around the corner. So she, Oh God. And I was like, I said, how you doing, ma'am? You okay? Oh, you scared me. I was like, Oh, okay. And or even being in the gym, like I remember I was taught these two kids was doing their workouts wrong and I'm watching them. And then I went to talk to them and tell them what they were doing and what they were doing wrong and stuff. But you could tell like at first when I was like, I said, Hey, can I give you guys some advice? It's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I was explaining to them how to do the exercise, right? How to do this. And then I said, look, you feel it more if you do it this way. And you can see now that guard was let down. It's like, man, this guy's pretty He's invested in helping us get bigger. Yeah. And I was letting, I even let him borrow some of my, my stuff I had in my bag and say, huh? But I think it caught him off surprise. It was two white kids. It caught him off surprise that, man, this, this black guy is actually trying to help me get stronger or get bigger or learn something brand new. And you can tell that that's probably not taught in their household because it's like when I approached them, it's like, it's just like they got so tense. Like they just kind of like wanted like, oh, is he going to try to rob me in the gym or He's going to try to say something to me in the gym and try to, you know, you can see it in their face. So you do anything in there that lets me know, like, some stuff is just not taught at home. Mm -hmm. And you can read about it. Yeah, you can't read about it. Well, it's, it's experience. It, the experience is yeah. the most mm -hmm. important thing. So I did want to ask you uh, one more thing, and it's because we go, we really do try to go on the solution-oriented side. Gotcha. And gotcha. so um, you shared what you would suggest for someone in their darkest hour. Now, what would you suggest for someone within your community that feels oppressed, that feels like they're not going to make it. What would you say to them to push themselves out of that and give themselves the confidence that you had to do it regardless of what you thought the odds might be? Try to come up with like reverse planning. Like they taught us this in the military, like try to create options for yourself. That's what happens to a lot of people. A lot of people don't have options. Sometimes it's going to take a year, a year and a half or two years to so you can go to school, get certificate. You just don't have to, you don't have to go to school. You can get those certifications. You just need something to get you in that door, they just start your foundation. A lot of people don't create options for themselves and don't live in fear. Don't listen to those other people. Create options for yourself. So when I got out of the military, yeah, I, I miss it. But when I got out and I, and I did all my homework from back in 2001 to 2005, I'm thankful that I got my college degree back then. Because when I got out of the military 15 years later, Guess what? It, it gave me a lot of options. I didn't even, I didn't even, I forgot about it. And guess who pushed me to go to college? This young white girl that was in my unit with me. When I, I said, I ain't going to go to college. She said, come on, we'll go together. So I went to college and she pushed me. And to this day, uh, I don't know where she's at now, but I'm thankful that she kept on me because I would have, I would say, man, I don't need no college degree. I'm not going to get no college degree. I got enough time to get it, but I'm glad it got, I got it early because guess what? I got promoted early. And then when I got out of the military, if I knew what I knew now, I had a lot of options getting out. But I, all I saw was tunnel vision. But when I was getting out, I said, man, I got a criminal justice degree. I could have been a you know, border patrol. I could have been doing so many different things. But now once I expanded my evolved again, now I see stuff on a bigger scale. Because 15 years ago, I created options for myself. But sometimes you don't even know it. The stuff that you don't want to do is sometimes the stuff that you need to do that will help you in the long run. I want to pull in and tell me if I, I heard this wrong, but I heard two really good gems. You're really good at the two gems. When I ask you a question, you give me two really good <laughs> gems. I heard one, if you don't think you have options, create yes, them. Yes, create them. Number two, take a deep breath 
because it's going to take a while it's to take get a there. While. A lot of us are not patient. Now you're looking for people to blame. Now you're saying, oh, I didn't get that job because I'm black. Oh, I don't like this person. Now you're pointing the finger instead of taking ownership of it yourself. I love that. Every week at the end of our show, we do give the audience just a small action that they can take. Do you have anything that you would like to share? Yes. Okay. The movie, the movie Greater. Greater. About the about the football player that he he got teased and stuff. He didn't think they didn't he wanted to go to Arkansas to be a, a football player, play for the Razorbacks. But guess what? Everybody put him down. When people when you got so many people against you, but guess what? You still got one person. And the one there's another one is Ernie, the Ernie Express. And that was the first black football player that won the Heisman Trophy. And it shows all the adversity that he had to go through as a black football player. You've obviously thought about things deeply, a person that wants to make a difference and make an impact and make a change. Would you attribute any of these things, your education or your inspiration to anyone? Other, I know we mentioned your grandparents, but any anyone other than that? Yes, I, I definitely want to give a you know, shout out to one of the most inspirational people that was in my life other than my grandparents was, you know, coach George Parker. Like he, he passed away about a week ago. I want to say like, he was that bridge that educated a lot of us as young black men. Like he basically showed us what he was like the, the role model of young black men. He was young. He was black. He was educated. But at the same time, he helped everyone. He didn't look, he helped white, black, Hispanic. He helped everybody. And he was that bridge that if we wanted to ask a question about, Hey, why does, why people do this? Why do that? He was able to break it down into the terms that we could understand. And then it made us like, oh, okay, that's why so-and-so acts like that. So now we now we educate ourselves. So now we're not going to go and treat that person different. He, that's the way he was brought up. It's not that he's, he's racist or anything like that, but that's just the family environment they're brought up in. So now when we go on the football field or we get on the track field or we do whatever, we can be a family. And, you know, he, man, he inspires so many people back home that, but he, the reason why I got into lifting, he was the reason why I almost quit, I almost quit the football team. And he gave me those words to stick with it. Cause I was skinny. I was getting my bell rung. I said, man, I said, hell with this. I'm not going to be playing this football. These seniors hitting me too damn hard. I'm going to quit. But he told me to stick with, I definitely going to miss that guy. So I'm going to cherish, you know, those, those moments. I still remember him. We on that sled. He's like, ready? hit and we're hitting the tackle dummies and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I'm glad that I got a chance to interact with him because he was the closest thing I ever had to a father. You know, rest in peace, Mr. Parker. You know, you're definitely, truly going to be missed. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and for sharing your experience. It's invaluable and we need to hear more from people like you. I know that you like to inspire people. Did you want to share where anyone can find you if they wanted to connect? Uh, you know, they can find me on Facebook, Facebook Mantra Corbin. You can find me on Instagram, Iron37, Sharpens Iron37. You know, I always post workouts, motivational stuff, challenging each other because at the end of the day, we got to push each other to do better because we already see there's a lot of hate in the world. So let's, you know, let's change it and let's give each other love. Let's, instead of like, oh, she's ugly. Oh, he's ugly. <laughs> you know, we don't give each other enough credit for the hard work that we do. Instead of us, you know, giving life, we, you know, give life, we take away life because words hurt. And everybody understands like words hurt more than a punch or a slap. You can say something to somebody and you can scar them for the rest of their life. But if you just say that one thing, you can give them the motivation to push through anything. Watch a person's whole demeanor change.
Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Please connect with Montrell on Facebook. You can find him at Montrell Corbin, C-O-R-B-I-N, or on Instagram at Iron 37 Sharpens Iron 37 for more motivation and inspiration. This week's call to action is to check out the movie Greater and or The Express, the Ernie Davis story. Both are true stories of grit, hard work, and never giving up. As a reminder, the opinions expressed on today's episode are our own. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own fact-based conclusions. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you were inspired to think more deeply. Don't miss next week's Firestarter episode, where we'll be talking about cultural appropriation. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, or you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out by email at info at diversityonfire.com, or you leave us a voice note. The link for that can be found in the show notes. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. And please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. As a Black man, I'm going to have to work harder. 